All right, welcome to another week here on Twitter Spaces on Cap and Trade. I am your host, Texans Cap, or you can call me Cap for short, or TC. Uh, we have good uh, good show playing tonight. We got Mike Meltzer and uh, Landry Locker returning back, radio legends of the Houston area, returning back and uh, taking some of their time out of the evening for us, breaking away from the football game a little bit. Uh, like I said, if there's a uh, there's a mic button on the bottom left of your screen, that'll allow you to request speaking rights. So you know, go ahead and get in line. I see we got one request already in the queue. So get. Go ahead and get your request in, and uh, I'll call out your name before I hand over the speaking rights to you so that you're ready to go. Please note that this space is going to be recorded, and probably and it will be reshared as a, as a podcast on Cap and Trade through uh, Spotify and Apple later this week. So if it's the first time you're joining us, this is a listener-driven show. I do have some spot, uh, talking points for us to hit on, and... Uh, we're, we're definitely open to taking some questions and comments from from folks out there. And then if you're returning, thanks for coming back and listening. So with that, let's get going. Mike and Landry, thank you for coming back on, guys. Absolutely. Glad to be on. Absolutely, as Mike said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I definitely appreciate it. So... We'll dive right into the to the news of the week. Uh, Deshaun Watson stays in Houston. You know, I guess it wasn't too terribly of a surprise given all the all the factors and considerations of it and what all needed to happen. It was a little interesting that you know that Stephen Ross kind of came in at the last second, or at least as portray- portrayed as coming in at the last second with with his last second demand of of wanting the uh, cases settled or at least having some direction on those that they would be settled. And then that just sparked a whole fire of, of rumors and truths and not truths. And, you know, that there's some reports out there that that Watson was trying to go ahead and work on some settlements. And then Houston got wind of that. And then Houston re-upped their price even more to Miami, which caused Miami to, you know, hold back a little bit and pull back on the reins and readjust and kind of just killed everything. So, you know... It, just kind of want to get y'all's thoughts on, I mean, or at least from what you maybe have heard on your side of side of things. I mean, to me, it's just all over the place. I don't know how truly close it really was. I mean, it, it sounds like they, from initial reports from McLean that they had some, some, some compensation agreed to, at least on the number of ones, you know, potentially being three ones, but there was no agreement on the, on the rest of the package. And then, like I said, it sounded like that package got increased once Houston got wind of Watson attempting to, settle the cases so what you know just kind of turn it over to you guys and what your thoughts on all that well, i would have been go ahead mike you can go first yeah I, i'm probably gonna miss a, a couple things but i am really the, the process to me is a little bit weird here because two weeks ago when the mclean and berman stories came out i was like all right that's obviously coming up from somebody that's a, those are obviously coming from someone high up in the texans organization maybe the highest up that you can possibly go therefore i think a trade is going to happen but then, like, we start to get closer to it, and it feels like, eh, it's not really going to happen. And you have these little, like, anecdotes or reports that come out. The whole Stephen Ross thing about him talking to Deshaun. You know, Carolina allegedly being declined to talk to Deshaun. Miami wanting the cases settled. Miami specifically wanting uh, NDAs as part of the settlement agreements. Uh, it just seems like a really weird process in that I had someone tell me a couple months ago that, yeah, an acquiring team, a team that's interested in Deshaun, is going to want those cases settled, 
but they're going to want to kind of do it in sort of an unofficial way. They're not, they're not going to want to put that in writing or anything like that. It just seems like it, it's weird that all this all this stuff was like rushed, seemingly uh, in the later stage of this process when you would have thought that settlement talks would have been ongoing throughout this whole time. And I just I can't really reconcile all the different reports that we have been getting in terms of Miami, the NDAs, Stephen Ross, settlements, Carolina reportedly declined to talk to Deshaun. Maybe Landry has a better sense of it than I do, but it just kind of confuses me. Although on the bright side, I do think the Texans made the right call in not trading Deshaun now. Yeah, I, I just think that if Stephen Ross did that, I, I think that's a big mistake by him. And I think I think it's borderline idiotic. I, and I think the Texans, regardless of why, I think holding on to Deshaun Watson was the right decision. There's no guarantee how many teams are going to be involved after the uh, offseason or whatever. But I, I think there's a strong chance that based on what we've heard, based on even talk of settlements, that there will be more teams involved and there will be more teams willing to trade for him and there will be more teams that are going to be able to sit down with Deshaun Watson. And Deshaun Watson might loosen up that tr- no-trade clause once a team gets to pitch him on their situation. So I think it's a good thing for the Texans. I, I think it's one of the dumbest things I've heard a front office doing a long time, if that really is true, what Miami did. Because to me, that that sounds like when you put something on the market, there are two types of ways in which you put something on the market. You put something on the market because you think you're going to get proper value for what you believe it's worth, or you're just trying to get rid of it. And I think the prices that I was hearing for Deshaun Watson, three ones and whatever else it was, to me, I don't think that's that that's good equity for Deshaun Watson. And, and I think the reason that that's even being discussed is because of the legal stuff. So if, if, if you're the Dolphins and you're going to trade three ones and whatever it was, a three and a five for Deshaun Watson, the reason that that's even possible is because of the legal stuff. So if you're getting that deal and then all of a sudden you say, well, now let's get rid of the legal stuff. You're basically eliminating the reason that that was the price in the first place. Yeah. And I don't think Nick Casario was shopping Deshaun Watson because he just wanted to give him away. He wasn't throwing a couch on the corner by his mailbox and saying, hey, just take it. And I think that's what Stephen Ross, as, as, time, as push came to shove, if this stuff is true, I think that's what he did. So to me, Stephen Ross was going to get a good deal because I, I don't think Deshaun Watson is getting kicked out of the league. Anything could happen. But I think you were going to look back on this four years and you were going to say the Miami Dolphins, if the price is right, if, if the price that they were saying was out there, the Miami Dolphins got Deshaun Watson for one more first rounder than Jamal Adams uh, and, and one more first rounder than what it took to bring in Laramie Tunso or Jalen Ramsey. And Stephen Ross, if that really was something that he needed to have done, I think he got greedy, and I think the Texans actually dodged a bullet because I didn't think there was any point to trade him in the first place. I agree wholeheartedly with that. That's, I mean, that's a fantastic viewpoint, something that I truly didn't consider. And, and yeah, that all makes sense to me. And, and Mike, I wanted to kind of, and I kind of gave you a preview on this the other day on, you know, on Twitter DM that, you know, this whole thing about, some people were talking about whether is it considered tampering at all with Miami, you know, trying to push Watson to settle the cases. But I know Ross wasn't even really given permission to talk to Watson or, or if it was given, it was on Monday, you know, the day before the trade deadline. So yeah. uh, what's, what's your take on this whole thing? You know, Busby seems to think seem to indicate that 
somebody pushed for for settlements, whether that was Miami, whether that was Watson. Just kind of want to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, I think that part is interesting because you never want to be in a posi- position, I think, legally where the other side knows that you really have to settle or it's like really advantageous to you to settle because then they then they on the other side have like every incentive to just make the price skyrocket or the term skyrocket, right? And I'm not sure if Miami like would have been tampering, especially because I, I, I candidly haven't read the NFL rules on that. And I'm sort of assuming that whatever the Texans granted, as long as Miami kind of went by those rules and they're they're fine. Uh, I, I do, another thing I find very strange about this is remember over the course of like the late spring and summer where the, the public stance was, hey, Deshaun is actually willing to settle these deals, but he actually doesn't want any non-disclosure. He wants everything to be out in the open. I never, which is kind of I never understood that. Yeah, which is pretty strange as far as settlements go. I, I can tell you that. Like, I don't have a whole lot of experience, but that that like non-disparagement stuff, non-disclosure, that's going to be pretty common in almost every single one. And then we have like the flip side this week where it's like, hey, the Deshaun side is pushing for NDAs. Oh, the Miami side is pushing for NDAs. I, I, I can tell you, I think it is like they can do whatever they want. I find it wildly almost unethical for the Maya, if it's true that the Miami Dolphins of all parties would push for something like that uh, in a civil matter between two parties. I, I, I do not find that to be uh, acting in good faith as, as a football organization. I don't think that's any of their business. They can want the cases settled, fine. But the terms, like, I don't think that that's in their bailiwick whatsoever. Interesting. I, I think as time goes on, I mean, we're going to have probably a, a small break in the action when it comes to the Watson discussions. Thankfully, we need a little break. But, uh, you know, Watson's scheduled to be deposed in February. And when it comes down to it, I really don't think he wants to be deposed. I mean, I know that I keep hearing that he still to this day thinks that he did not do anything wrong. And yeah. if this goes to court, then you're going to have you know the 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 ladies up there they're going to they're going to you know tell their story and it's just not going to come out well for Watson and i don't i don't think i don't think there's any advantage to him trying yeah. trying to pr- prove his innocence for that yeah matter. that's that's the point like as far as the uh, reason why and and i've i've talked about this with Melty actually as well that what i've heard um as far as potentially the reason why uh he would he would be like the first person to have like a case like this and one in public is because the amount might be so low for a settlement that he doesn't want it to be like a vague settlement. You know what I mean? Like if like, I don't want to, I don't, don't, don't take this too serious, but like Michael Jackson and R Kelly or whatever, their, their settlement figures were so high that I think if someone had, had heard it and they, no one talked about that. If someone would have heard it, they would have been like, dang, they messed up. I think Deshaun's, from what I've heard, like the settlement amount that I've heard, like just through people is so low that he doesn't want it to just be mysterious and he wants it out there. That's that's just one theory that I've heard. But as far as like the deposition and stuff, I'm with you, Kat, because even with all that said, like <laughs> I, I, this is probably the first time we've gotten a wrestling reference in here. Although Stutes might do that kind of that thing. But like Hulk Hogan <laughs> had like a divorce settlement that was way worse than he would have gotten even under law. Like it was over 50%. And the reason he did it 
was because he did not want his wife to be putting business out there about his sex life and stuff like that. Like he did not want like a, an open record of like the freakiness of Hulk Hogan and all this other crap because he thought it would be bad for his brand. Deshaun Watson's not going to go up there and have to talk to Tony Busby for 44 hours without being asked some embarrassing ass questions that might not even have anything to do with what he did. Like it's going to be embarrassing. And that's why that's another reason why, you know, settling and not, not spending 44 hours with Tony Busby uh, could come into play. And I can tell you this real quick on the, on the trial. I don't think this is something I've actually been searching for this and I can't find it. Maybe, maybe someone in this chat has it, but since there are 22 cases, like, one of them has like the scheduling order of like of the dates of the trial. And I, I, I haven't been able to find it. But the point I want to make is I want to do another search because the courts are so backed up that people have this idea. They're like, oh, there's going to be a trial date. I don't know. What is it like late spring, something like that? If Deshaun wanted to take one of these cases, just one of them to trial, that is going to take, in my opinion, a minimum of two years, maybe three or four years. Like that's how long of a process it is. Like that trial, if he's like, hey, I'm not settling this then unless he somehow gets rid of the cases by some other mechanism, like that trial, it's not like, oh, he can just sit for a deposition, go through settlement talks, have it not work out, go to trial in May. That is not going to happen. These cases were filed in 2021. He will not be going to trial in 2022, in my opinion. I would be stunned if that were the case. I wonder if the league would have enough information based on his deposition to go ahead and issue their their punishment. I don't know if that's if that would even be the case or not. I mean, if if what you're saying is is if he dragged this out to past deposition to actual trial room and this taking years, then based on what the league has done so far, the, they may never they may not do any kind of punishment for years and you know, at that point, you know, he'll just be playing and playing through it and Whatever happens, happens. But I, I don't know. It, I, I haven't been able to figure out at what point the league is gonna do anything. And that's this is completely not even acknowledging the 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 criminal charges that are out there. And if if that happens, and that's that's about the one hedge bet on this whole thing for Houston. That if if no indictment happens, then that's gonna help out. Houston dramatically when it comes to the trade but if an indictment is handed down then that really could torpedo things I can tell you I can tell you this one thing I don't as far as what I know I don't think that the deposition is going to be like public record uh that's not something that's like the 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 deposition is part of the discovery process which is also like documents that exchange all that like now things could leak obviously especially with something that's you know a high profile matter like this but in general, like if Deshaun sits down and goes through those 44 hours, that transcript and the, and the accompanying like audio video, sh- that's not like filed with the court that people can then see. That is only exchanged between the parties. Okay. Now, OK, like, that, that's yeah. that's a different. See, that's why I like having you as the legal guy. OK, so it's not going to be like the O.J. Simpson civil trial. I'm not going to have somebody in there live tweeting it. See everything. I don't. I don't believe so. I mean, unless people, unless somebody has information to the contrary, I don't believe that that deposition depositions are not part of the the public record. Like, if you go to any of these cases, um, ge- that's a ge- that generally speaking, like I don't think that is going to be a public thing. Okay, fair yeah. enough. Now, I mean- he's, now he now now he, Deshaun is still going to be incentivized not to go through that because 
I think Landry said this on, on his show today. That is, uh, that's something that's like under oath. It is on the record. Um, and while your lawyers can object during a deposition, like there's no judge there. And so you basically, you basically have to answer all of the questions, even if they're objecting to everything. Yeah. And it, it just, it still blows my mind that how bad athletes first fumbled this thing in the beginning. I mean, that, if they had not overplayed their hand and just done the settlement up on the front end, this would have, yeah. <laughs> we wouldn't be at this point. It's Landry, amazing. I, I feel, it's amazing how bad like, athletes first like, handled this. I feel like Landry's been all over their incompetence in, well, in this one. I want to be, I want to be clear because I think athletes first obviously has a pretty good reputation. I, I think Brian Bernie specifically, uh, is one of the biggest jamokes this side of the Mississippi. I think he's, I think he's an absolute buffoon. I think he's an absolute idiot. I don't know why Deshaun Watson keeps him around. Uh, you know, you're going to give a sworn statement to Rusty Harden, and then you're going to have to delete your Twitter account because you're liking like conspiracy theories and all that type of stuff. Like it, it, it he's just, I, I don't know. Athletes first represents a lot of people. Like they, they, they represent more athletes than anyone. So, I, I would just say like the Brian Bernie side of things and maybe a few guys screwed it up, but athletes first has a pretty good reputation. I just don't know why turtle. I mean, Brian Bernie uh, is even a, uh, <laughs> even a part of this team. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, we'll move on. I th- think that's enough, enough Watson talk for now. I mean, I think we covered all the, the points of that, you know, we'll, we'll circle back to that come January, February, whenever the, the trade talks start heating back up. Cause I think the new league year, I think is around March 18th, you know, and that's when the trade can be official. But as we saw with, you know, with Stafford and, and golf with Los Angeles and Detroit, they consummated or at least agreed to terms on that trade back in January. So, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens coming up and we'll definitely keep an eye on it and we'll keep discussing it as we get closer to that. But We'll move forward. You know, some other things happened this week with Houston right around the trade deadline. So, or at least last week, we saw the Ingram was traded to New Orleans. You know, that was that was an interesting chain of events, an interesting timeline because you know, right when it happened, everybody was just like the the whole thing about culture and building locker room and everything is just you're you're completely contradicting yourself. Speaking of the Texans by trading Ingram, it made no sense. Blah blah blah. Saw the Brandon Cooks tweet. He was upset. Other players were upset. And then we get the true story two days later from, from Mark Ingram himself, the, you know, the Saints. It almost seems like that was a favor to the Texans, for that matter, where the Saints put that out on their – on put the video out of Ingram explaining the situation and how Houston said would have said no to any other team except for New Orleans, and they came up to Ingram and made let him make the decision. And then – you know, Houston readjusted the contract, gave, you know, added a void, uh, added an extra year of the contract, did a small signing bonus. All that was just to help New Orleans out from a salary cap standpoint. You know, the, the 2024 seventh rounder was just, that's, that's the furthest out you can trade. Uh, obviously we learned that a couple, you know, last week Landry yelled at me and, uh, you know, <laughs> and so I would, I had been wrong for the last, eight months on how far out you can trade. And so obviously now you can trade three drafts worth heading up. And then that fourth, that fourth year opens up on draft night, but getting back to Ingram, you know, that was, 
it, you know, it was a, a, a very nice sentiment to the, to the player from the team, you know, and Houston did everything they could to facilitate that trade from a salary cap standpoint, from a draft compensation standpoint, from a cash standpoint, and gave Ingram a chance to go back home and where he started in this league and, and do what he wants to do. And, you know, it is what it is, you know, and once, you know, it sounds like, you know, Brandon Cooks probably, you know, obviously calmed back down after he heard the details and, you know, kept his tweet up there, but he was obviously upset about it. And so maybe, it, it, you know, we were hoping it would bring some more time for Scotty Phillips and it did a little bit this weekend, you know, I was excited to see him on the field finally, but, you know, between that, we had the Mark Ingram trade and then the Charles and Minahue trade. And that one threw me off a little bit. And not that he was traded. That was that was actually pretty well expected. But just the compensation. And that playbook that Minahue put in place dating back to the dating back to the training camp. I mean, to me, I mean, he was a fifth-round draft pick. He's outplayed that draft slot based on his performance this year and last year. And to only get back a 2023-6, just really his attitude and his what he's been doing on and off the field, you know, not on the field, but off the field in, in, in the building, on Twitter, things like that, it seemed that really kind of killed some of his draft compensation or the draft stock that the Texans were able to get back for him. Yeah, I think it goes to the culture. I think if you're just talking about the two moves you mentioned, uh, I think it goes to the culture. Uh, and I actually think it's it's somewhat encouraging, but it's also somewhat discouraging. Uh, starting with the Minahu, uh, you mentioned, you know, the value and everything like that. I, I, I think with his production, uh, I, I don't think that that trade was worth making. Uh, and I think I, I think it was personal. Uh, I don't know if it's because he has Deshaun's agent, but I, I think that that was uh, culture gone wrong. I think that was when keeping it real goes wrong. Uh getting rid of a minute who and i think that was a bad knock on the culture uh i also think the ingram trade was a bad knock on the culture which i don't necessarily think is a bad thing because i think it just kind of exposes how ridiculous you know this talk of culture and this push of culture is because you have an actual tangible price on the one thing that they've hung their hat on the most which is a draft pick in the latest round possible, as far out as possible. That's the price of one of your faces of the culture. That's the price. You said that. And it also shows that, you know, when Nick Casario goes, you know, on to the podium the other day and he says, oh, I have players come up to me and they just want to be here. Well, <laughs> the guy that you said was the face of this culture obviously didn't want to be. He wanted to go to New Orleans. So, that I, I think it was just a knock on the culture, but I think that the culture needs to be knocked because I think it's been over-romanticized, and I think there have just been tangible clues that show that this culture that keeps getting protected, and we know who the culture overseer is. That's Jack Easterby. That's on his. That's the first sentence on his profile uh, at, 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 on the website. But I, I think it was just – I think it put the culture in perspective – uh, and just how over-romanticized it was uh, both of those moves did. And, and I don't even care about doing Mark Ingram a favor. Like, if like that's cool. And, and But, I mean, if, 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 if what you're telling me and what you've been telling me since, since we were going to training camp is the culture is the most important thing, and it's culture over wins and losses, and we're really building a culture, and you're telling me 
that Mark Ingram is one of the faces of that, the most important thing that you're hanging your hat on. You said it was more important than wins and losses, and then you get rid of one of the faces of it because you want to do him a favor? I, I, I don't I don't understand it just puts in perspective just how much how much smoke they're blowing up our asses in my in my opinion I don't know what Meltz thinks about it I, I'm really really struggling when it comes to the whole talk of culture because I, I just I, I don't really I don't really understand what they're going for like if you if you listen to Casario this week he's making all these different references that I'm not sure that the people listening are fully understanding and I would include myself in that like some some of his business references but it's like so obviously there are like multiple ways to succeed in, in business and in sports, but like the, the things that, that he says about building a culture and habits, it's like, wh- what is the opposite of this? Like, it, it, am I supposed to think that like other organizations are, are trying to do things in a completely different way that other teams want like a bad culture or they're doing something like, I just, I don't really understand exactly what they're, what they're going for when it comes to the culture. I think as far as the, I think I'm probably better at analyzing the booth themselves. I I probably got a, I got sideways with some of my tweets about the Ingram trade, which I really had no problem with. And if they're gonna, you know, bring in Mark Ingram for like this weird honeymoon thing, and then give him away for basically nothing, but treat him along the way and the way out, and then give him a chance to win, I think that's fine from the standpoint that this organization can probably use as much good favor around the league as humanly possible. So I, I can live with that. Uh, the Amenahue thing, I, I would frame it this way. At some point when the Texans are hopefully competing for a playoff spot or playing just an important game on a Sunday, and I don't know when the hell that's going to be, like you have 22 starters you need on the field, right? Now, realistically, in in the salary cap era, you're not going to have 22 well above average players. It's impossible. But heading into this season, I would say some of the guys who are possibilities to fit that 22 eventually would be Justin Reed, Titus Howard, maybe Charles Amenahue. Uh, and from what I can tell through whatever we're through nine games a season, whatever it is, the only, like you basically lost Howard, lost Reed off of that list, in my opinion, lost the Menahue. The only guy who has sort of made it onto that list of being one of those 22 would be John Grenard. I literally can't find anybody else. Like maybe Nico Collins, but that's based on like one, two catches a week, essentially. Um, and I think Lopez made this point on six ten earlier today. Like I, I'm not saying this is critically important moving forward because basically like we all know this is kind of a lost season and it's because they didn't have their picks in the first and second round, yada, yada, yada. But like Casario has not won a trade yet. And right. I don't think his process in 2021 was a good one. Do I think that's cataclysmic moving forward? No, but I think what it contributes to is this overwhelming feeling that this whole year is a giant waste of time. Like they would have been better off like I, I, I'd, I'd be curious in sort of like a quasi off the record on background talk. What does Nick Casario think of what the Rockets are doing? Because it seems like they're doing the opposite thing, that they're going exclusively young and they basically have like two to three veteran pieces who they either kept or brought in. So they're doing something that's opposite of this. Does he think the Rockets are doing it wrong? Like I'd also be, I know that's very random, but I'm also curious about what his thoughts would be about that kind of process. Well, I also think that the Rockets actually got to make the trade. You know, they got to trade their franchise players. So I think True. it's unfair to compare those two processes. I, I like Casario. I want to make, I, I'm, I'm the Casario guy. My issue with Casario and, and look, I don't have an issue with him not winning a trade yet because they've been low level trades. My, my problem is it just feels like there's some like over romanticizing going on 
to where you're bringing in Rex Burkhead, you're bringing in Marcus Cannon, you're bringing in Danny Amendola, and I, I don't get why. Like I, I don't get why and what they're bringing. And the thing that you're hanging your hat on the most, this culture, and I keep going back to it because that's what they talk about. A lot of times when you say culture, there's nothing that I can say to counter it. Because I'm not, I'm not some like blowhard jackass who's just going to sit here and say, well, they've won one game, so the culture's obviously not working. No, I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is that in Detroit, they can claim culture. And there's really nothing that you can point to unless you are just going to point to wins and losses and say something. But here, you have Randall Cobb leaving and saying he feels like he got out of jail. You have Whitney Merciless, who was one of your guys, leaving and saying that they got problems at the tippity-top. You have Lonnie Johnson at the bottom of the roster. You have Lonnie Johnson uh, tweeting and complaining every single day about who knows what. You have Charles Amenahu doing the same thing. You're disciplining Desmond King for, uh, for, for, for games to where he's sitting out. Uh, you have... Um, Deshaun Watson wanted to leave because of culture. J.J. Uh, Watt wanted to leave. Mark Ingram wanted to go to New Orleans and get out of here. And you got rid of the guy that you said was the face of your culture. So my problem with Casario isn't anything he's done, because I don't know what else Casario could have done. My problem is that the one thing that he keeps hanging his hat on, there's tangible proof. It's not like this, un this something that you can't prove. There's tangible proof that it's not working. So my question is, like, why are you protecting this culture? Why is this culture being saved? I don't get it. Yeah, the, from the culture standpoint, I it I don't know what they're trying to achieve because, I mean, they only have like 26 players under contract for next year, and probably yep. six or seven of them are going to be not going to be on the roster next year. And if you're building culture – who are you building it for? Because if you're building it for the future, majority of the players that you're building it for are not on the roster today. And there's maybe like, like Mike was saying, there's not very many players that you can hang your hat on when it comes to being a potential starter in the near future. So you're building a culture for what, 20 guys from a 90 man off season roster to a 53 man, you know, or set upwards of 75 player roster during the season. So it's, you know, it's very difficult. It, it just doesn't make sense to me. Well, I, I think what they should have done in the offseason is this, and tell me if you guys agree or disagree. I think even though they would never have under any circumstances won a bunch of games this year, I think the obvious move was basically was do what Miami did two years ago in 2019, which is basically take as many losses as possible on the salary cap Deshaun accepting in 2021. I would have brought in a ton of young players. I would have brought in a big undrafted class. And I just would have been playing a bleep load of young players all over the place. Like, that's what I would have done. I would have brought in, like, you know, three to four uh, veterans that I liked, whether it's Ingram, Christian Kirksey, Kamu Grugier Hill, whoever. Uh, and have those kind of interspersed, but I would have brought in as many young guys as possible, not taking. Any See, I don't, money. I don't know how that was possible though, because you didn't have the picks. It, no, it's no, not no, necessarily. It's well, not I think, I think it was going to be a, a a big undrafted class, is what I initially thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be, you know, you don't touch that many contracts and sign a very big undrafted class, sign some plug-in free agents, and move on and 
go into the season that way, and it just went the complete opposite. They re, you know they restructured a ton of contracts, big free agent class, and a very strong, very small undrafted class. So, from my standpoint, it, it went complete one eighty from what I was expecting. Yeah, but I mean, like, what are undrafted guys really going to do? The the the, the problem. What's most that? of them are going. To, most of them are going to do nothing. But let's put it this way: like Landry, you, you've commented about how when you watch a bunch of random NFL games, it's staggering the extent to which you're like, "That's a better running back than we see on Sunday." There's another one. There's the third string guy, and we're sitting here watching David Johnson. We're watching Rex Burkhead, and you're like, "Why does this guy even exist?" Like, it's just weird. Like, I'd rather have some complete no-name undrafted guy, especially at that specific position. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it. It was it was just an interesting interesting way to go about it, and you know from that standpoint, you know, it, it kind of just makes me wonder how they're going to handle twenty twenty two. I you know I don't I don't twenty twenty one was such the off season was such a a dramatic difference compared to this. You know, I wouldn't say the standard, but for for what generally what we see teams do in the off season and to have this large of a draft class just blew everybody away, you know, to have that amount of transactions in the off season just blew everybody away. So, I mean, I'd be curious to see how 2022 is going to go, if it's going to follow a similar path. Obviously they're going to have more draft picks, you know, especially if Watson gets moved, they're going to have upwards of, Oh gosh, I think 12 or 13 draft picks next year. And so they're, they're going to have they're They won't, have to have as many free agents, but they're still going to have to make quite a few moves just to fill up that 90 man roster when it comes to the off season. So we'll move off the, the Ingram trade. And, uh, you know, we talked about the Aminahu trade. That is what it is. I, you know, it wouldn't shock me if we see Aminahu, you know, extended with San Francisco. They're very, they're a very uh, aggressive team when it comes to early extensions. And they have one of the best, uh, one of the best front offices, in my opinion, you know, in the league, you know, not only speaking for John Lynch, but and I, I, his name escapes me. The the capologist there who does all the contracts. He's been with that organization a, a, a very long time. So, wouldn't shock me to see a many who you know do well, do well there and then get extended next se- off season. And then it's going to be just a, a a rough look. And I, I you know, it's it's going to be a rough look for Houston. I just want to jump in just one last point yeah. on this. And listen, I'm not like some film analyst or anything like that, but. When you look at Amenahue, he certainly seems like the guy based on his frame, his build, his long arms. Like, Charles is not a good 4-3 defensive end pass rusher who can bend the edge like Von Miller used to do and get to the quarterback. He's a long-arm guy who's better on the interior who can rush the passer against guards. But it seems like they, they put him in the defensive end spot, and we're, like, shocked that all of a sudden he's not performing well. And it seems like the same thing's happening with Desmond King, that this is a guy who's not an outside corner. He's a nickel corner. They put him in the wrong spot. And I think everything Landry said about Amenahue from a culture standpoint, that seems to that seems to, to, to be squared away, and it seems to check out. Uh, but it's like you've got to look at your players and realize what they can do and what they can't do. To me, Charles Amenahue, if he succeeds in the NFL and is a legitimate above-average starter, he's going to do that as a guy pass rushing from the interior – on second and third downs and they didn't put him in that spot from what I saw this year. No, no, they didn't. And there's, there's other people that have voices, voiced similar concerns to that, that he, he was out of position more often than not, you know, and just whether, you know, however the team handled that is how they handled that. But, you know, it just didn't seem like, like you said, he just wasn't put in the best position to, to, 
to really put forth his best performance that he could. So we'll move on. Um, just a couple of little notes I had here. You know, teams are, from what I heard, teams are sniffing around Justin Reed, uh, potentially potentially Washington, or there was one other team I had heard that had called about Justin. You know, it doesn't, I don't know if Houston – I don't know what Houston's thoughts were on it. I didn't hear anything from that standpoint. I don't know if it was just a quick no or if they were listening or what that thing was because that would have been just a 10-game a, a rental for – for any potential acquisition team because it, it pretty seems like Justin Reed's going to going to want to test the free agent market. I uh, didn't really hear much else. You know, I saw Jordan Aiken's name tossed around a little out there, but I don't know that teams were really inquiring about him. What, what is that value? A 29 year old on his rookie deal. Like I, yeah. I kept hearing the name. I'm not, I like Jordan. Like I'm not, I'm not trying to be a hater, but I'm just asking like a, a, a tight end who doesn't have a touchdown this year, who, I don't know that there was – I don't know that he's even the best tight end. I don't think he's ever been the best tight end on the team since he's been here, unless we're going back three years maybe, who is 29 years old on his rookie deal. Like, I heard McLean throw that out there, and I was like, what? What? Like, what? 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 If Mark Ingram was a seventh rounder in, like, three years, like, what? what is what is Jordan Aiken's trade value? I, I don't – I don't, I, it, I 2024 no seven. I mean, I mean, I, to me, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a toss in there. I don't know. I, you were basically hoping that you got an injury or something to maybe he would slide right in to another team, but I, I agree. I don't think he had any trade value. So I don't really think I saw people throwing his name around there, but I don't truly think anybody was, was calling for him or, or even checking in on his availability. So that was, I mean, that that was the main players that I heard about from the trade standpoint. I don't think cooks was ever in any real trade talks. I think, I don't think that was real. I don't think the team looked at Tunsil. I don't think, I don't think there was really that many other players. I, I well, they probably tried to yeah. shop. They tried to probably tried to shop Cunningham again and probably had zero takers again. So he'll probably think, just uh, go ahead. Do you think cap, I don't mean to cut you off, but do you think if Tunsil had stayed healthy, uh, that he would have been traded at the deadline? No. Okay. His contract, it, it just seems like they got double whammy with him with the compensation. And then, I mean, that contract was about as player-friendly as I've seen in a long time. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, how many years does he have left? Two now? Like, yeah. One? Yeah, I mean, Zero that was a one, short-term right? deal. That was a short-term deal. Um, you know, usually – when you sign that type of player to that kind of deal, you, you shoot for at least a four year extension, if not longer. And to, to have that short of a, of an extension just, you know, really surprised me. It was a very, like you said, it was very player friendly. I mean, there's just no way it's just is what it is. So, um, another, some more transactions that happened this week. So we had, uh, Vernon Argraves was released right after, Finally. The, right after the trade Next. deadline. And they got, ex- they got exactly what they were hoping for and that somebody would pick him up and pick up the rest of that contract for the rest of the year and save them a little bit of cash. So hopefully that leads maybe, I mean, I don't even know if Jimmy Moreland is good or not, but you know, he's been inactive every game this year. So we're hoping that maybe Maybe we'll see a little playing time with him, but Cincinnati did claim Vernon Hargraves, so you know he's gone, and they they inherit the rest of that contract. So 
saves saves Houston a little more cash because he would have been able to claim the rest of that on uh, termination pay if he. I assume he hadn't done it yet. To, done it yet in his career. And then they did claim a linebacker today, Mr. Eric Wilson, out of Philadelphia. Um, he's a fourth-round player. He's uh, on a $2.75 million contract. It's a it's a it's one of those, the Philly specials that uh, is a one-year deal with four void years on the end of it. It, it voids right after the Super Bowl. So, you know, it, it sounds like, you know, they put the claim in on him. He's an off-ball linebacker, and I. This is kind of where I wanted to lead into this next point. Is I think we're going to see a lot of that from Houston this last nine, ten weeks. You're going to see probably a lot more roster shuffling, or at least I hope we will. You'll see some more claims because they're number right now. They're number two in the claim, you know, waiver order, and then hopefully, we'll, you know, towards the back out and back end of the season, we'll start to see some some player signings from other teams' practice squads. And you know, get those get those contracts early versus having to do it at after the season's over and play that fighting game with the futures contract. So, you know, I'd, it, it was weird. As soon as the claim, as soon as the report came out on Eric Wilson that that Houston claimed him, the, the uh, Mike the Philly beat writer DMs me an article about just just scathing Eric Wilson and just how poor his performance was. He was brought in as a as a fairly strong free agent. Out of Minnesota, you know, he played well last year for Mike Zimmer. He was in, uh, he was on a rookie deal last year and signed a one-year deal. Was, you know, it was a pretty good little signing by all accounts. And he just has gone downhill, downhill, downhill. He's take, he's almost like Zach Cunningham here. He's gone to the point where he doesn't have any playing time. He doesn't, he wasn't playing any special teams for Philly. So, I mean, hopefully, a change of scenery will be good for him. But I, I really don't know what to, what to expect from him. You know, it's obviously going to take a take some time for him to acclimate into uh, Lovey's system. Maybe just the system that that Philly runs up there wasn't a good fit for him. But you know, he's you know he's two thirty weight. You know, he's six foot one, so obviously he's got some. You know, he's got that same type of build that that we see Houston bring in for their linebackers. But I mean, just like looking at PFF, you know, just horrific grades. <laughs> And it's just a little scary. I mean, he he's grading out as one of the worst linebackers in the league. So hopefully, hopefully that'll pan out for the team, or maybe they just get a quick look at him and you know, two or two or three two or three years, and and I mean two or three weeks, and move <laughs> on. And you know, we'll see. I, my my only comment is I'm not going to lie. I don't think I've watched this Eric Wilson guy play, but I, I think it's about the the process. Which is if you all, if all I know about a guy is that he's young, he played well one year, and then he sucked this year. I'm fine with bringing in guys like that because presumably they have talent. Maybe it was the wrong fit. And I agree with the overall premise and the spirit of pick up as many young guys as possible the next couple months and see what you have. Because again, I keep going back to that 22, like this roster, I I, I don't want want to be like super negative, but like in my time watching the NFL and Caps has been watching it longer. Maybe Landry has, I've been watching since like 95 or 96. This is about as like bad of a roster as I've seen in that time. And it's the kind of roster that you're like, man, you almost need like three full drafts just to get this to where you'd like it to be. Now, it'll be helped by whatever they get, hopefully, with Watson. But, like, I keep thinking about that 22 and getting as many potential of those 22 guys as humanly possible. Yeah. Yeah. I I agree with you. And uh, (laughs) I'm just laughing at all my DMs. (laughs) 
a specific listener the... has he he left the room so we're we're okay now but it, everybody's dming me about easter b being in here and listening so that was i wanted i i would love for him to to talk i mean i don't know yeah i know i should sure. i should have just sent him speaking rights i mean shit what the hell <laughs> yeah maybe next uh, maybe yeah, next I mean, week if he if he sneaks in here i'm just gonna invite him up as a speaker and we'll maybe that'll be the very first time i'd be breaking news right here that the very first time that he speaks <laughs> yeah and I've, I, he, I, I've, I mean, he's, he's had conversations with people. I'll just say that. Like yeah. he's, yeah. Yeah. I, I know mean, what you're talking about, but he's never, yes, done he it has. In front of, he's never done it in front of like a, a group, which would be, I mean, that would be a first, but like most people in the media have had some interaction with him. I'll just say that. Uh, but, uh, the, uh, I'm watching the jets right now and they're getting their ass kicked 42 to 16, but I want to be where they're at. Like, and Mike, Mike was laughing, but I mean, you got a young quarterback that I guess you're somewhat excited about. I mean, I'm watching Elijah Moore score touchdowns. You got a coach who uh, seems to be, you know, have a little bit of juice. There's, there, you got seven draft picks in the first four rounds. Uh, I, I think realistically, I would like to at least be close to or a version of where the Jets are in a year, and I think that would be some sort of tangible prog- uh, progress in the process. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. Like, we go back to the roster. Like, I'm a Jets fan, and it's not a great place to be, but, like, at least you look at the Jets situation, and, like, it, it all it's all going to come crumbling down if, like, Zach Wilson's a bust and it doesn't really matter. But you can look at their roster and say, like, they might have a star left tackle if, if he's healthy. They have Quinn and Williams, a guy who can have a big contract. Like, they have these younger guys. Vera Tucker's been really good as a first-round pick. Elijah Moore's coming on. Uh, I mean, they, they, they're playing a lot of young players in the secondary. They, they drafted a running back in Michael Carter, who looks pretty good. Like, they have sort of pieces kind of all over the place, and they'll kind of alternate playing. And, and, and Sala even said this. Part of this is on him for not coaching as well. But, like, he said – and this is I, – I, I think the Texans' messaging needs to improve, and, that's, and I have a very low bar with that. But even Sala on Sunday after just beat the Bengals, he was like, listen – we're a really young team. So there are going to be weeks where we look like we do not belong on a football field like tonight. And there are other weeks where we're going to look like we're a playoff team. I, I, I like talking to your fans in a direct and honest Mike, way. Mike, yes. come on. Like, what are you yes. asking? Like, well, I'm asking to treat your fans like they're adults. That's all I want. Be direct. Mike, Mike, <laughs> Mike, <Yes>. Mike. <laughs> like, I like, I, I like, I always have to preface this with saying he's a nice guy. And I think his perspective on life <laughs> is something that we should all strive for. Sure. But like it's, we're talking about David Coley versus Robert Sala. So let's just slow down on expecting David Coley to get the message across that Robert Sala is getting across. Okay. Like that's not a realistic thing that, that that's like asking the Texans to compete for a playoff spot. Like we know what Coley is. God bless him again. I truly think when it comes to life perspective uh, and being everything that every human being should strive to be, I think David Coley is a plus, but as far as being a head coach and being a messenger to the fans, if you're expecting him to give you a message like Robert Sala, that's unfair. I'm kind of curious. I don't want to derail our conversation, but I was thinking this (laughs) week and I I tweeted this to a few people. I, I feel like the Texans, and I know it takes two to tango, 
but it seems like a guy like Jim Caldwell would have been much more ideal exactly. to what they're trying to do. Like, exactly. Dude, like, like Landry and Cab, like these guys, uh, Caldwell, he's a very accomplished coach. Like, yes. He has coached multiple NFL teams. He won a conference, for God's sakes. He's coached in a Super Bowl. Yes. Uh, like, like the, and he's a the, guy who's not getting a job anywhere else. I'd like someone the thing, like him as a caretaker. The thing is, though, I just wonder if Caldwell would have been as willing to – I don't know. To – up with any like potential bs you know like i i don't know like i'm with you like if you just told me this was going to be the situation you have to hire a coach who's going to who can't get another job anywhere else who's kind of on the back end who's not necessarily the long-term fix and probably only wants to coach a couple of years i don't think you could do much better than jim caldwell and 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 he's he's one of these high character guys he's a dungy guy He's accomplished, but I don't know. I, I, I do wonder if there were discussions, like when they were having these discussions, if, well, is he going to do everything we tell him to do? And is he going to be, you know, I, I, I do wonder if David Coley maybe being not as good as Jim Caldwell came into play. What, what gives you this whole Josh McDaniels idea? Where, where did that come from? I just think that he's going to get a job next year, oh, uh, and I think that yeah, I think he's I think done he an will. excellent, he's... and I think he's done an excellent job this year with uh, with Mac Jones. Uh, and I, I just you know I don't know when the Texans are going to be in the coaching market, but I think that Josh McDaniels, with his knowing Casario since college and New England, it just wouldn't shock me if Josh McDaniels is the next guy. And and would it really shock you if David Coley after this year just decided he wanted to go? retire and live his best life like do you think he's having fun right now I, I, his spirit's never going to be crushed again but like do you on like on a scale of one to ten how shocked would you be if david coley didn't say i got to live out my dream i got to be an nfl coach i love jack i love nick but right now it's time for me to go back to tennessee and just enjoy my life enjoy my football life i feel like how shocked would it be if the texans it, how sh- how shocking would it be if the Texans were in the coaching market again this offseason? It, it wouldn't shock me much at all, especially if that was the 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 reasoning that he it you know disclosed for for making that move. And I mean, you to answer your question, if is he having fun? Probably not. I mean, you hear it every week in the media sessions that he has. <laughs> the the jubileeness has just deteriorated week by week by week. His answers are getting shorter. He's getting a little more direct with his answers and the frustration's starting to catch up with him. And I mean, I hate, I mean, we're only eight weeks in, we still got a ways to go and yeah. it, 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 it wouldn't shock. I mean, I just, I don't know if I, I'm just waiting for Coley to, to just unleash on somebody and, and hope it's not poor little Sarah or somebody that, that gets the brunt of it. And, you know, it, I, I'm, I don't honestly don't think that'll happen, but I mean, well, it just, it's, it, you see to answer your question. I don't, it doesn't seem like he's having fun because every week it gets, it gets tougher and tougher for him in the media. So room. what's he, like, what, what is like, let's be honest. Like, and, and I'm not, I'm not saying this like as a bad thing. I'm just saying like, what, what exactly does David Coley, like, what would he be coaching for? If he's not having fun, if there's no like immediate tangible winning insight, if the guys that he brings in, like Mark Ingram, are getting traded, like does David Coley seem like a guy that needs an extra $4 million? David Coley seems like a guy that still shops at HEB uh, and is like hey, going hey, to Costco. Hey. There's nothing going wrong to with Co- HEB. 
No, no, I'm just saying like he's he's a normal dude. Like yeah. he's he's a, that I'm a, I'm the HEB guy, but like he he seems like he's going to Costco and getting sweaters. Like the guy the guy does not seem like a like a guy that is just going to coach cuz he's going to get 4 million dollars. It would not shock me for the Texans to be in the coaching search this offseason. Well, and and then that leads you to the natural question of how good of a job would this be, especially with, like, obviously you have the Deshaun thing, and I think there'll be more clarity because that coach would then know, okay, Deshaun's getting traded, you're going to have extra picks, and the question is how many do you get? But, like, if I'm thinking about coaching in Houston, I want to know, do I get to pick my coaching staff? Are you picking my defensive coordinator? Are you picking my offensive coordinator? Because I don't know what you guys have heard, but uh, I'm not going to go into, like, too many details, but I've heard that guys – this is not a shocking revelation, but other coaching candidates turned them down last year and guys who are not head coaches now in the NFL. So it makes me wonder how attractive would this job be given the state of the roster and some of the conditions that you might need to be the head coach under. I guess, I mean, it just depends. I guess it had to depend on the Watson situation and, and to see how that's what direction that's headed and then make a decision. I mean, we, you know, it, it's interesting because we saw you know, that the they changed the the rules on interviewing coaches. I think they can start in the playoffs now. Or no, what was it? The last two weeks of the season? I, I yeah, last two weeks. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it, it wouldn't shock me at all if he's here next year, and it wouldn't shock me at all if he wasn't here next year. That's. The I end think of the, the dream. The dream would be him here one more year. Uh, you get some draft equity. Uh, you have multiple picks in the next three drafts because of the Watson deal. And not this year, because I don't think there's a quarterback, but next year when you have, you know, dude from Alabama and you have Caleb Williams from OU eligible to uh, to be in the draft. Uh, actually, Williams would be like two years from a, a couple of drafts. But, like, when, when that happens, then you get a coach – uh, one of the top coaches and he gets to get a quarterback to, to link up with. Cause I do, I am with you, Mike, like if they are on the market, unless McDaniels is just so tight with Casario and he just wants to come in. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that he would probably have some other options, uh, but I think that would be their dream. Coley one more year and then young talent on the field, draft picks, next coach, time to roll yes yep all right well, we'll, well we got a few questions out there i got some on dm as well but uh chandler and nay we'll, we'll extend speaking rights to you one at a time so i know chandler's been waiting the longest let's see here if i can remember how to do this here all right. chandler still says connecting connecting all right chandler what's going on man what's your question Man, I got a question. So, basically, um, like you know, seeing seeing like on game days, is that like like uh, you know, some some of the players are on the field just don't that don't want to be here, and with with the situation with um Watson and like the coaching staff, I mean, I just don't don't see. See anything going on? I mean, that's my question to you guys. Yeah, I, 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 maybe he's referring to Lonnie Johnson or something. Yeah, I, uh, I, I, as far as players wanting to be here, I, 
I mean, that that's the other thing that I am wondering, like, if you're if you're saying that about coaches mike like what about players like when when you do have cap money like how much of an issue is that going to be and my biggest fear and 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 i i'm not i'm not just saying this like i'm (laughs) like my biggest fear and and it was my fear this year before the watson allegations was that like let's say the texans traded for the number seven pick or whatever let's say they made a trade with carolina and they they had the number seven pick and they, 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 they wanted to bring in Justin Fields. And Justin Fields told them to go fuck themselves. Excuse my language. I know we're recording this. My bad. He told them to go F themselves. And he elwayed. Put the explicit one on this one. My bad. No, just beep it out. Just take it out. Good Lord. Uh, but, but, like, who's to say, like, if the Texans, let's say that, let's say that uh, they get to a point in a couple of years where they can get uh, the quarterback from Alabama. Say his name for me again. Uh, Bryce Young, Bryce Young. Let's say Bryce Young, like the Texans are there and it's like, you're rubbing your hands together. You're like, Bryce Young's going to come. Like who's to say that a player with that much leverage is going to look at this situation where Whitney Merciless is saying what he has to say. Deshaun Watson's already dipped out. JJ's dipped out. And you have a situation like who's to say that they don't get Elway or Eli and someone refuses to come here. I just don't, I don't think it's that far fetched. And that's my fear when it comes to players being here is that, the only guys that it seems like are really all in on this process, it's not Deshaun Watson, it's not J.J. Watt, hell, it's not even Lonnie Johnson and Charles Amenahu. So I just went from the top of a roster to the bottom of a roster with guys that don't want to be here. What, what, what exactly are you choosing from if, if, if that is the bar of people that don't want to play for you? Yeah, I think I think it's a very fair fear, and I would I would expand it to like a global question of whether we like it or not. It's pretty clear. It's especially in the NBA, but it's drifting to the NFL. We are moving into more of a player empowerment era. Like it's not just the Deshaun thing. It's Rodgers. It's Wilson. Like this Odell thing in Cleveland. Like the players are going to have more power. How are the Houston Texans as an organization? making themselves adapt to the new world order of player empowerment. What things are they doing to adjust to that state of affairs? And that's, that's what I would love to ask Nick Casario. And, th- and that's the other thing about it is that you use those examples and, and you can even go back to like the nineties, like the mid nineties, 94 or five or whatever it was when Emmett Smith has had his holdout and he came back or Rogers and Wilson, as you just mentioned, like, they came back, but they came back to organizations that had a body of work of success. And they'd at least done, you know, d- done something right. If you don't have that body of work of success and, you know, Nick Casario is relatively new to things and, and, and you have the, the sins of the past, the dark cloud, as Whitney Merciless called it, still looming, looming over NRG, like, who's going to, who's going to, like, it's one thing for Aaron Rodgers to say, okay, a team that's gone to back-to-back NFC championships and has made me a Hall of Fame quarterback, or Russell Wilson, a team that was a yard away from winning me two Super Bowls. I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. How are the Texans going to get that? They're, they're going to have to strike that balance between running an organization like an, like an NFL team and bring, you know having some flexibility on that on that player empowerment. But – at the end of the day, the, the team's got to set the direction, set the culture, set where the team is headed, and the players are going to have to adjust to that and go along with that. And 
it's just finding to me it's finding that balance between the two i mean it you know it we got one of mike's good friends rot on here he's listening and he's dming me and uh you know he's saying the same thing you know you think the patriots let 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 the players run the organization and that that's just not the case i mean you just got to find that balance but the at at the end of the day the responsibility lies with casario and, and coley to to run the organization in the right direction and run it correctly yeah, yeah, and I don't think it's about having the players run the organization, but I also think there is, like as you mentioned, Cap, there's a balance here. Um, like in working environments that are football, that aren't football, whatever. Like it's nice to be able to have a back and forth. Like I, I, I would, I listen. I, I haven't, I've never worked for for a football team, but what I imagine I would like is, especially with my veterans, with my stars, I'd like to have a genuine back and forth with guys, where if they see something they don't like, or they have certain plays they like. That there is that you're allowed to have a back and forth. That people are allowed to challenge each other in a way where you feel like it's an open environment and not just oh, if you challenge what's going on here, well, we have to get rid of you. Like that's the environment I would want. I want to work with people who are going to challenge me in order to make me better. And that's not that's coaches, players, the front office all going back and forth in, in some kind of ecosystem. Is that hopefully that makes sense? Yeah, no, it does, and. We'll just kind of we'll kind of keep it on the on the same thing here. So on the same topic. So we did get a question on the DM considering the first overhaul of the Texans. How much confidence do we have on a scale of one to ten? How much confidence do we have in the front office to answer roster needs, culture concerns, and finding identity on offense and defense? Sincerely, Houston Draft Nick. So basically, just on a scale of one to ten, confidence in the front office to lead this to lead this team going forward for the next three three or four years. I mean, to me, it's a three year window. That's pretty much how majority of teams project out on their rosters, on their caps, on their cash, on their budgets, things like that. So looking at it from a three year sample, I mean, it's tough to gauge what my confidence would be in Casario. Cause obviously this is the Casario show. I mean, Coley said it many a times during media pressers is, Oh, that's Nick. That's Nick. That's Nick. I'll, I'll talk to him some, but that's Nick. So this is obviously Casario's show. On a scale of one to ten, I mean, I don't know, six ish, five and a half ish. I mean, I mean, it, it we have we don't have much of a sample size to really know what the confidence level in him. I I need to see a full draft that has ones and you know one and a two or ones and twos in it, not starting at the top of the third, you know, starting off in the third round. So I want to I want to see. A full draft, you know, another off season, and then I could probably answer that question again after 2022 to give you a better assessment of the situation today. I mean, the confidence level it's mid mid five sixes, and that's just because I just don't, haven't seen enough yet. Yeah, I think it's a fluid philosophy. I, 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 you know, there's a lot of things that people aren't excited about, but I, I don't think this is the, the philosophy we're seeing right now. I don't think it's going to be the same, you know, when everything comes. So I I, I can like talk about certain stuff that he's done right now but i think as the assets get different as the situation changes uh as some of the fat is trimmed on the roster i think the philosophy will change so my confidence level would probably be like a i'm a casario guy it it would have been probably a seven but since he made that dumbass dell analogy i'm gonna drop it down to a (laughs) 6.2 unfortunately he made the the phoenix suns reference to about six hours too early yeah, I was yeah. Well, I thought about that, and it's like not to get too deep into that part, but I was like, 
Like, I, I don't even know, like, if people look at the way the Suns, like, got to where they were last year, it's like they were bad for a long time. They had a couple of good young players. They added Chris Paul, and then they took off. Like, is that some sort of model you can follow? I suppose, but I don't know that that's even, like, a big talking point in NBA circles. But anyway, to get back to Houston, like, I, my confidence level is, like, a 4 to 4.5, which is not anything against Nick. Like, I, I go back and forth when it comes to GMs drafting because the people who do studies on this show that, like, it's really about how many picks you have because it, it over time, like John Schneider used to be a genius in drafting. Now people think it's Seattle thing. He sucks. Like what did he like forget how to draft players? The good thing that Casario will have is that he will have ideally a full draft this off season and more, but I'm with cap in that I need to see him go through this off season to really give an answer on that because I don't like the way he approached 2021, but I also don't think it really matters all that much in the grand scheme of things. But I just want to see if he approaches next year in a rational way. And I think a rational way means bringing in a lot of young players, signing more higher upside deals of free agents, guys who are younger, guys who have a more realistic chance to pan out. And then looking at what that initial draft class looks like, see what I think of those players. I just think it's really hard based on the information we have right now, like judging my confidence level in Casario, because my concern isn't even so much him like picking players or drafting guys. It's more like the organizational influences, like what, like the Cal part of it, the Jack Easterby part of it, um, the head coach part of it. Is that going to be Cully? Is that going to be somebody else? Like my fear stems more from that stuff than just can Nick Casario draft good NFL players. Yep. Sorry. I had myself on mute. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, I agree. It would sound like we're all on the same page on that one. So it's seven minutes after 10. I think that's going to be enough to call it a show. I, I saw we had a few more requests in there. Nay Chandler. And, uh, we'll, we'll get to you next Boo! week. Oh man. <laughs> you want to do more questions? Dude, yeah, I'm watching the uh, the Colts. It's all good. They they've been waiting. Yeah, we're chilling. Yeah, right. we're men of the people, Cap. All right, we'll <laughs> go a little bit longer then, just for y'all. Curmudgeon. I know I am an old man. Cap N- Easterby. It's oh, dirty. <laughs> Nay. Yo yo, what is up, guys? Hey, What's going go on? ahead. Yeah, so. What worries me most about the Texans right now, I, I don't mean to be negative, but it is what it is. We're one in seven right now, right? So what worries me ro- most right now is how how little cap space we have, how little talent we have, and how old our roster is in all that still. I think we have the fourth highest aged roster in the NFL. So we got to get younger. We got to get as many draft picks as possible. And I guess my question would be, if you're Nick Casario, what would you think about bundling Deshaun Watson with Brandon Cooks so you're essentially giving a team an entire passing attack and getting as many draft picks as possible? Sure. I'm all for it. I I think if it helps the draft package, then I I don't see a downside, especially given Cooks' age. No issue. Yeah, his deal's pretty... Uh, yeah, it's pretty, pretty nice pretty, too. Yeah, I mean, it bumps, Cooks, it jumps up a little bit. It's a little heavier next year, but you yeah. can do a lot worse than Brandon Cooks. Yeah, no, I, I see no issues with that. But I mean, and to speak to the to the roster age, and this is my my personal opinion, Nay, and it, this is nothing against you or anybody else who talks about roster age and things like that. But you, if you go and look at the average age of the roster from the youngest 
roster to the oldest roster, you're talking like two years. And, I mean, yes, the roster is older, and that's a function of, of what we see out there. But I don't put a whole lot of stock in, into the age of the roster per se, but the roster is definitely does not have any very much talent in it from top to bottom. There's no depth on the roster. And then, like you said, the cap says this year it is what it is. Casario inherited just a horrific situation from a cap standpoint. You know, the team was the highest cash spender last year. You know, and as we saw with a bunch of really bad contracts that, that O'Brien and Easterby signed, you know, that's just that's just the situation they went into. And it, it's it'll be better next year especially once Watson's trade and that 35 million comes off the book, comes off the cap. I mean, the team's going to be sitting with a ton of cap space and they'll, they'll have to revamp and they'll, they're not going to spend it all at once. It'll be a, a nice flat increase over the next couple of years. So from a cap space standpoint, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be too concerned about it at this point. Awesome. Thanks for taking the question, y'all. All right. Well, thanks for your patience. I know you were waiting for quite a while. Yeah, sorry, sorry, Cap tried to crap on you. <laughs> All right, let's see here. Man, it's tough tonight. <laughs> that boy T. By the way, you see Ryan Griffin get a touchdown? Yeah. Good on him. He's, good on know, him. Good on him. What's man. up, fellas? Y'all can hear me? Yeah, yes, man. What's, what's going on? All right, cool. Just quick question, like. Yeah, we all know this year was a wife, so it's really not much to talk about besides the staff. So going forward, do y'all feel like this is the right staff to rebuild a team with? Uh, for me, absolutely not. Uh, you need a new coach at some point here, and I think Landry's right that it might the timing might work out better next year than this year. Uh, Pep Hamilton kind of intrigues me as an offensive coach. Uh, Lovey, like, I don't know. I mean, I think defensive coordinators, like, you, you can only – you can only do so much with the talent around you, but I just I worry that his schemes are a little bit outdated. Um, and ultimately, like if you do bring in a new head coach, I imagine you'll have a lot of uh, new coaches that come along with him. So I, I I don't personally see it. Maybe some position coaches coaches here or there. Yeah, I I'm I'm looking at you know this Robert Sala thing, and I think the most impressive thing that I'm watching is, man, you got to branch off that Shanahan tree, and this this offensive coordinator. Uh, <laughs> He's, uh, I mean, Josh Johnson has two touchdown passes. Uh, so, I mean, I, I don't know that Pep Hamilton is good as an offensive play caller or not, but I think the right staff is going to take place in two years. And I think next year you're just trying to stockpile young talent and get those assets moving forward. I would like, I'll, I'll throw out a name in two years that I don't know if he's a guy yet. And maybe you could get some of this Jet stuff. D'Amico Ryan's. Oh, Bring them home. I knew that was yeah. good for morale. D'Amico Ryan's. <laughs> yeah. I don't think you're going to get and and then get have him bring one of the young Shanahan understudies with him, whoever it is. I don't think it's going to be, you know, the the guy who's calling plays now, but D'Amico Ryan's baby. Hey, yeah, I mean, I'd no like to see more here. of what he does with that uh, San Francisco defense. But yeah, it's not uh, it's not a bad idea at this point. All right, let's see here. Who else we got? I think I saw Josh down here. Let's see. Josh, my R Studio buddy. What you got, man? How's it going? How's it going? Awesome. All right. 
How much leeway do we need next time Jack gets on before we call him out? <laughs> I'll, I'm going to extend him speaking rights if he sneaks back in here next week. Uh, I got Aaron Reese is going to come on next week. I'm going to have to give him a heads up. <laughs> all right. All right. Cool. All right. I just wanted to check on that because I really, I just want to hear the guy talk. Yeah, yeah that was interesting. Time. I missed him. Yeah, that was interesting. I, I text. I just texted Omar a screenshot. I'm going to mess with him this week. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, he he doesn't. I, I don't think he, he wants to talk. I mean, that uh, that goes without uh, without saying. He he's aware of what the perception is of him, and, and and honestly, like as far as Jack goes, like his performance has sucked. Like, and I mean, that's not that's that. I mean, that's something I would say if I would like. I he knows that I think that. I'll just put it that way. Like he knows that I think that. His performance has sucked. Like that—that's really what 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 you judge athletes, coaches, execs on is performance. And if you just go back to what he's done from April of 2019 to now, he's overseeing culture. Like that—that's his description right now. Like last year, in years previous, he was negotiating contracts, Bill O'Brien's right hand man when it came to trades and free agency. How the hell do you think he did in that in that area? If that was the job description, and now he's overseeing culture, how would you describe the culture right now? So I mean, his performance has just been bad, uh, and I, I I don't think I don't I hope that he would at least be able to acknowledge that and look himself in the mirror and say that because when a player performs bad, he has to go up there and say my performance has been bad. Like everything. Really, if you just look at where the organization is now compared to where Easterby came and you look at some of the guys that have left that building, some very good guys, in my opinion. I don't think Brian Gaines deserved to be run out. Uh, I don't think Chris Olsen deserved to be run out. Maybe it's a coincidence, uh, but I don't think those guys deserve to be, you know, just pushed out. So that, and, and then maybe it's just a coincidence that he took over their responsibilities. Uh, but he's he's been bad at his job. Like, I, there's there's no other way to say it. And the only way to like justify it is this mystery like it all matters type stuff that that you see all over the the building and stuff like that he's just been bad at his job yeah okay right. you disagree cap no i don't I, i'm just i i see it all over the timeline i i'm not i'm not going to name names but there's certain people out there that are just constantly tweeting about him and I just, I just don't care. I don't care about it. What he, I don't think he has near the effect on this, on this organization like people thinks. And maybe I'm completely think, wrong, and well, I'm, and I'm happy to be wrong. But I, or at least well, from a, from a football, I, I, from a football standpoint, and roster building. You're standpoint, talking I'm, now or in the past? Now. Okay. Now, yeah, but is that a problem though? If 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 a guy if. Is it a problem to have that guy overseeing? All right. So now, but but if if he's overseeing culture, do you think do you think that the culture is good right now? Depends on who you talk to. I mean, I, I don't know the answer to that question because I'm not inside. I'm not inside the door, and I don't I don't know what is truly going on on the inside. I mean, I you know you hear the players that are that are not here and what they have to say when they get outside of Houston, well, but there's a reason why they're not here anymore. So. You know, I, according to Casario, people are, are happy and thanking him for, you know, See, for being here. So well, whether that's true the, or not. But, here's the, 
Here's the Go thing, ahead. though, Cap. Like, I, I get what you're saying. Like, I think Nick Casario, I, I don't think Jack Easterby's walking into Nick Casario's office and saying, sign this guy, this guy, this guy. I don't think that. But I do wonder, like, how much his presence prevents Casario from bringing in the best possible coach or bringing in the best possible player. That, that to me, is like, when, when I say, like, in, when, when you talk about impacting personnel, I do think Casario has the true feel. But I, I just wonder, like, with that presence, with how players talk, with how agents talk, with the Texans' past reputation, what it was, and him being such a big part of it, is that handcuffing Casario, and that is that another obstacle for Casario to have to overcome? Yeah, and I would also put it this way. Like, let's say tomorrow we found out that, like, Jack Easterby left the organization. I think there would be here, – here's the, what the reaction would be. I think there would be, like, a giant – I hope I'm saying this right. There's, like a, a, like, a pressure release valve. And I think people could finally sort of start to move on. There would be a Twitter parade. Franchise. Yeah, and I think people would feel like, okay, now we can, like, breathe. And so we wouldn't have to talk about things like we talked about 20 minutes ago where are they going to get Eli? Are they going to get Elway? Or so? Like, I don't think that would be nearly the fear that people have. And I, I keep thinking about something that Cap mentioned on this on the space a couple of months ago when uh, you talked about Deshaun and how he – that, you know, Deshaun asked for these changes. He got these changes. I guess I, I keep thinking about that comment because I would submit that – I would argue that we don't have a fresh start here. Like in Atlanta with Terry Fontenot and Arthur Smith, they have a fresh start. Nobody feels like they have a fresh start here because of the presence of Jack, even though they have a new GM and they have a new head coach. And a, a little part of that is Casario comes from New England and people are tired of the New England thing. But like this is – I would imagine this is not a very pleasant place to play NFL football right now. And that's something that fundamentally needs to change. There's a disconnect between the fan base and the organization. We see it in the stands. We see it in the tailgate lots. And I came here in 2010, so probably a lot of people on this chat have been here for a lot longer. But, like, this – even when they weren't, like, performing up to expectations, like, it was still a really cool environment to go to every single week. And that has been – that has been completely dissipated – and it seems like the organization has taken the approach of like, we are going to like completely ignore that and not really address our fans in a serious way. Um, and so when Nick Casario says something like, well, some of the people who come up to me, they're like, well, we appreciate what, what you're doing. Like, I don't know who these people are. Like I'm downtown every day. Like who, like who, like I, I live here. You guys live here. Like, I, like who are these people? Debbie, the Texan. Yeah, she got a locker. Yeah, basically, yes. <laughs> she did. He has a nice locker. <laughs> yeah. Look who snuck in, Paul, Paul Gallant. I see him down there yes. listening in. Um, yeah, I mean, it, but I mean, to, back to the answer to the question, and just it, it may be more of a function. I'm just tired of hearing about it, and I don't really care to talk about it. I'm just, I, I don't, I get tired of seeing Easter Bee stuff on my timeline. I get tired of seeing certain people just constantly railroading it and this is not a defensive easter bee i'm just i just don't care and I, I don't think it's that big of a deal but you know maybe i'm wrong i don't know i don't know all right yeah you're you're wrong cap i know wrong. i probably am that's fine <laughs> you're just you're just, just uh just don't well, care. i would say, I would, I would say I, i'm cap. tired of it too but it's still yeah, but, I think we but all the are. point is like it's i i think it's there and i do think it's a factor like 
there's a lot, there's a lot of stuff I get tired of. Like, but it's, if it's a factor and it's impacting things and it's morale, like, I, I just think, it, I, I think it is, I think it's the story. Yeah. Well, wow, I mean, I, I'm more curious it. to see what the morale coming out of the, coming out of the organization is come week 15, 16, when they're two wins with three weeks to go. It's like I said, you, you see it kind of slowly deteriorating with Coley at his media pressers. And it, like I said, it's only, we're only eight weeks in. Give me, give it about another five weeks and ask me again. And I might oh, have this. a completely different opinion. So by the way, do you guys have an issue with them starting Tyrod Taylor this week? Because I actually, I thought about this a lot and I do not. I not don't. This week. Not this, this week. week. And that, that was one of the bullet points I had. And I, I, I think from a fan perspective, from, you know, to get some buzz back to the team, get some, get some positivity back with the team, whether it's a win or a loss, I think the team, I think fans just want to see Tyrod back out there. I think they've had enough of Davis Mills for now. It wouldn't shock me to see Davis Mills back starting late, you know, later in the season. But I think for what the organization needs right now, they need Tyrod Taylor to, to play, play and play well for three or four weeks. Yeah, I just got to the point where, like, like to me, it would almost be a non-story had Davis Mills not made that little—I'm not going to call it a comeback—but like whatever they did in the fourth quarter of that Rams game. But like otherwise, like between. The uh, the game the previous week against Arizona and the first two quarters of the Rams game, it's like this offense basically was like lucky to cross midfield. And I just don't but know it, how it is you- kind of unfair that Terod Taylor. It, I'm not taking anything away from the first six quarters, but dude, did Davis Mills face a defense as bad as Miami's? Like, I mean, he he. Look at the teams that he faced, and look at yeah, where Miami was, is defensively. I think that- I think that's fair. I think what I what I might have considered doing be, uh, because of the draft incentive and the Davis Mills being a young quarterback instead of what I probably would have done is I might have just started Mills one more game and then made a change after the bye week. Because, um, like, I, I just thought some of the stuff that we've seen the last couple weeks is like I, – I actually – like, I have the opinion that a, a young quarterback sometimes, uh, whether by benching or injury like we see with Zach Wilson, like, Having the chance to see it sometimes after you played, I don't think is the worst idea in the world. I have no proof of this. It's just my just my sense watching football. All right, I think that's going to be about it. I think we're I think we covered Fair. it covered it. That's an hour and twenty minutes. That's that's a little a little beyond our new, usual time frame, but you know, it was a definitely a very very good session tonight. I really appreciate it, Mike and Landry taking your time once again to come on here and and if i just can plug this real quick before we we sign off head over to to overthecap.com jason put up a really interesting article about measuring draft picks for cash um you know i i if you follow me if you follow me heavily you see i tweet quite a bit about i've been kind of getting a running tab of players that have been traded and when there's cash involved to up up you know, up, up the, the draft compensation on the other side. And like we saw with Von Miller this week with Los Angeles and Denver and, and Los and Denver playing, paying $9 million of the salary this year to get, to ensure that higher draft compensation. So go take a look at that. It's really interesting. There's a two or three trades on there from the Texans. I think the Cobb trade is listed on there. I think the Clowney trade is listed on there. 
so just take a look at that. It's it's really interesting, and I think we're going to see more of that as as things go on, as, as teams continue to get a little more creative with that kind of stuff out there. But like I said, uh, Mike and Landry, and Landry, I do have a question for you. Okay. So when you're on air, are you standing up more often or are you sitting down? Uh, I'm a, I stand a lot, uh, and then sometimes I'll sit down. I'm a little bit jittery. Cause I, I usually sit down for these, but I just stood up for like the last 30 minutes and it just, it's infinitely better. I don't know why. Yeah. It, I was always <laughs> like, and I don't know if this was just like some sort of BS from a program director. Mike's a sitter. Uh, he's more of like a calm delivery, but he told me I needed to stand up. So I'll stand up. Lopez is a, is a sitter, but I'm, I'm a big stander. I'm standing right now. I'm watching. By the way, the Jets put 30 on the Colts. How about that with Josh Johnson? So they didn't. I, I'm not watching the game. So they didn't. Uh, I guess they didn't sit down Carson Wentz at halftime to avoid the snap counts. They didn't. And, <laughs> no, they, and they should all be. Chris Ballard should be fired for that, by the way. <laughs> uh, although although the Jets are. Oh, he just threw a pick. Uh, yeah, yes, he did. No, I think the, uh, Ballard's kind of. Uh, I mean, Ballard was was GM gold there for about two years, and I think no. He's and I do wonder to, if there's some ethics. I do wonder, like you talk about relationships and stuff. I, I do wonder if you know with the NFL, if there is like some sort of ethics that you don't want to violate uh, the spirit of a trade. To where if Ballard did decide that you know oh, he wanted to keep Carson Wentz to like below seventy percent, and he just decided to bench him second half if that how, how frowned upon that would be because that 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 might that that's a relationship thing that i think probably does have a little more substance to it yes yeah, I, I see that on the timeline all quite a bit and people formulate that and i'm exactly on the exact same page as you that you you don't want to burn those bridges that you have with other teams over that situation just to try to well, get that to shift from a two to from a one to a two you you don't I, I, you don't play that game you don't you don't because then you're not gonna have trade partners you're not gonna you're just gonna have a very bad situation as a GM when you're trying to function with other teams. It's interesting because like they do that all the time in the NBA with the protections like they don't really care they they'll just like lose for whatever. But I think the biggest thing with Wentz is that like uh, I I think they're uh, Wentz has played well tonight but I think they're kind of screwed with him long term. But like they're at a point where I don't know that they can bench him even in December because like. They gotta have him next year. Like they gotta maintain this relationship here. Yeah, that, and I mean, it, we'll see what their record is when it comes down to the last three or four weeks of the season. And you yep. know, they they if they're trying to make the playoffs, and they're gonna have to keep him in there. I mean, unless you're gonna play Sam Ellinger, and that, I don't hey, think anybody. He got would, a snap today. He got a wildcat snap I today. Saw the, the shovel pass, the Andy Reid shovel pass play to Jack, Jack Doyle. I saw it. So, yep. all right. Well, let's call it a night, guys. Um, Mike Landry, thank you once again, as always. Thank you, guys. Cap, you're the man, dude. <laughs> all right. Y'all have a good night, and uh, we'll do this again. We'll go back to our regular Tuesday schedule next week. We just accommodated for the Astros this week. So we'll get back on the Tuesday run next week. And uh, thanks, everybody, and have a good night. Yeah.